if I had to describe this, I'd say it's cool people having conversations about agriculture and life. Because ag and life live side by side and sometimes overlap. I'm your host, Mark Flint, and this is Open Field Radio. Brought to you by Gowan Company. John Dinsmore, Yuma, Arizona. Fourth generation farmer, family farm, water in the desert, right to repair, farm bureau, ag photography, legacy. We talk it all right now. In preparing for this, John, I did a little research and I've got one question for you. You ever Google yourself? You know what? I did, I don't know, a couple years back. I was a part of a national committee and was kind of curious uh, what you would find if you put my name in there. Pretty pleased to find out that there's a uh, microbiologist out of Chicago with my same name. And uh, he was the first one that popped up at the time. So I was happy with that. You were clear. I'll leave. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the clear. We'll leave it like that. You're a busy man. I am. Do you have a title, a role, a hat you wear? I don't know. You're John Dinsmore, Dinsmore Farms. Dinsmore Farms. Fourth generation. We've been farming the fields in the South Yuma Valley since the early 1940s when my great-grandfather started it. I've got five, well, potential fifth generation farmers at home. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to see at least one or two of them have a desire to be in agriculture in, in some fashion. But at the same time, we just had a talk the other night that I said, you know what, guys, I don't want you to ever feel pressured as though you need to follow in my footsteps or you need to follow in your grandpa's footsteps. And I said, if, if all five of you go off into different directions in this world, but you are just loving life, my heart couldn't be happier. So I, I love farming, but I can't expect everybody else to have the, the same passion. Was that farming, was that instilled in you at a young age? Oh, man. I just I remember growing up, my closest neighbor were my grandparents a half a mile away. So I lived for the moments that I could ride my bike down to the office there at the farm or down to the shop. My grandpa would put me to work. Yeah, I, I will admit it was under under the books. I got paid in $1 bills. I'd kept my time on a little notepad in my pocket. And That's I learned the value in washing a tractor the right way. I remember the first time I tried to wash a tractor, and it was a lot harder than it looked. So those little things that I remember are what I want to give my kids opportunities to identify things that they like, things they don't like, and maybe some areas that they didn't know they loved. Sure. And the farm life, what a great oh, place man. to discover that. Exactly. Exactly. Is farming today a young person's game? It's anybody's game. Okay. Yeah. You know what? I, I just love that we are a part of an ag world now that is not Johnny Appleseed. It's not just planting a, a seed. Statement. It's not, you don't, if you don't want to get your hands dirty, you don't have to get them dirty. I mean, I love what I do. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm in my truck a lot, but I get to walk fields. I get to get, get my boots muddy and, and dirty and just the smell of the soil to me and, and listening this time of year to the wheat in the morning when the breeze is blowing and the birds are chirping. And it is a great sound. It's a great sound. And, and yet there's others that say, you know what? Mm, too much sun for me. Put mm. me behind a computer. Let me run some science. Let me run some numbers. Let me go on the, uh, the economics. Let me study the, uh, the soils from a science-based you know, approach and, and help from that direction. And that's what I've tried to tell my children that, I mean, if you are just the slightest bit interested in agriculture, there's a hundred different ways you can be a part of it and help what we're doing at the ground level. Exactly. It's a, it's, it's an open field, as we say. <laughs> it's an open field. Yeah, exactly. Go figure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. But it really is. Yeah. The fourth generation, your great grandfather. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, it's something that has been in our family a long time, but it didn't just start with, you know, right now we focus a lot on lettuce, the romaines, the mixed lettuce, the iceberg during produce season here in Yuma. 
We love to tout it, but we are the lettuce capital of the world between November and March. You may Arizona. My great-grandfather was not doing that. A lot of seed crops, a lot of working for other farms. And so really, I say fourth generation of having my hands in the soil. Four generations of farming is uh, quite the accomplishment. I mean, what we get to witness to plant seeds, manage the timing of our irrigations, try to start to learn to, the weather forecast, and, and just really try to plan ahead. There's only so right. much we can really put effort into. And the rest of it is, is really up to what tomorrow brings. And so with that in mind, everybody that we lean on, our pest control advisors, our, our seed folks, shoot, the, the water district that we're able to communicate with in advance to even send water orders so that by the day we need that water, it's coming down the pipeline and we're ready for it. Everybody plays a part of this team effort, but really at the end of the day, it's kind of up to, to what tomorrow brings, you know? More of Open Field Radio after this. Clean grass seed starts with Eptam 7E from Gowan, USA. Eptam 7E is now registered for use in grass grown for seed to control troublesome grasses and broadleaf weeds. University trials have proven Eptam 7E provides excellent control of Poa annua when used in late September on established grass seed fields. Contact your local distributor to learn more about Eptam 70. Always read and follow label directions. From Gowan Company. And now back to Open Field Radio with our guest, John Dinsmore. John, you and the farmers in this region are in a very unique spot because you guys yeah. are farming in the middle of the desert. Now, they've been growing things here for four generations or more. Mm-hmm. If you've never been to this part of the country... It's pretty staggering the amount of agriculture that goes on here because if those fields weren't there, it would be desert. Yeah. No ifs, ands, or buts. But by the grace of God, we've got something called the Colorado River. That's right. And uh, to think about the people years and years ago that stopped here and said, yeah. Right. Let's do this. Exactly. And so with that in the desert, two things you need. You need land. You need water. Both are a big deal here. Hot commodity. Water is always an issue. Always. And that'll never go away. No. And you know, thankfully, we've got good good people at the forefront. If I say fighting to protect that, I say that loosely in the sense, you know, I think uh, often people, I, I've been told by other communities that we often can get a little protective, maybe even seem a little paranoid at times, but it's because we, we care about those that came before us and, and we care about what our community is capable of and the planning that has gone in. And so we fight for our water, we fight for the protection of our lands, and thankfully we've got good organizations around our industry here, especially even on a local level in our community that are, are standing up and, and taking thoughts and, and ideas to the state capitol, all the way up to Capitol Hill as well, and, and making sure that the voice of agriculture has continued to be at the forefront. And we wouldn't be able to, to do what we're doing without that. Well, and that Colorado River that runs through here, I mean, everybody takes water from it. Everybody. In the West, everybody takes water from it. No politics. Right. But I, but I talked to a legislator years ago, and they said to me, John, we're not, we're not thinking about taking Yuma's water. We're just going to take it up top. Or the words he used. We're going to take it up top, and you all still have your water down there. But trying to remind people that here, often the quote is, we're at the bottom end of the spigot. So we have to be very protective. And beyond caring about having the water, we're we're also the most conservative. And I say we loosely. The community of agriculture is so far past where we were 50, 60 years ago on how we conserve our water and how precise we are in our irrigation. And now food safety standards, we're treating our irrigation water. So you better believe we are doing everything we can to protect and use the water the most efficient way possible. Well, and once it's through Yuma, it hits Mexico yeah. and goes on to be used 
and however Mexico mm-hmm, ceased to use. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the Colorado River, if I'm not mistaken, I saw it a couple of years ago. It stops basically right there. Yeah. You get south of the border and it's just a dry riverbed at that point yeah. as it's diverted to wherever Mexico sees fit to use it there. Yeah, it's. I mean, it really is a, a remarkable thought. You're farming in the desert in Yuma, Arizona. Annual rainfall plus or minus three inches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who said, that's a good idea. There's a good place. Because here's the deal. I checked the numbers. Arizona's 47th in the nation in rainfall. 48th is Wyoming. 49th is Utah. And 50th is Nevada. Annual rainfall in Arizona, 13.5, 13.6 inches a year. Yeah. Period. Statewide. Statewide. Nevada's at 50 with 9.5 statewide. Mm-hmm. And yet Yuma and the Imperial Valley in California, just across the border, giant agriculture areas. Oh, yeah. And it's all because of Colorado River, the water. It's not the rain, that's for sure. No, it is. You're absolutely right. And on top of that, it's how we're utilizing our water, how we're using the water, the water, how we're applying it, when we're applying it. Things have changed and come a long way. Now in, in vegetable production, you'll see a whole lot more drip systems, temporary systems, because down here in this valley, we rip up our produce beds and we know it's going to go into possibly a, a melon crop, cotton, alfalfa, durum wheat. So it's a temporary process, but you'll see a lot of drip going in now to try to preserve the water, try to conserve how much we use and, and being able to apply it more directly. It's a little more labor intensive, but we've actually started to use more sprinkler irrigation over the last, gosh, probably 15, 20 years to germinate summer crops too in in feed and alfalfas and wheat to be able to have a more precise germination so it does benefit us a little bit there but also it allows for a just an accurate irrigation so we're not you know we're not just opening up slide gates and seeing water flow across a field all the time and hoping that every part of the the field the blocks get enough water and we know we're not overwatering them either which has really helped so while we are grateful to have that river we know that we can't take it for granted we've really got to take care of it Well, that segues into my next thing, which is technology runs all through this. Absolutely. Farming is as much tech as it is uh, hands and feet out there in the dirt. Yeah, last season we had an opportunity to uh, experiment with some technology that we had a base monitoring system, a receiver in one of our shops. We only had it on a uh, about an 80 acre ranch. I mean, really, it could reach out to about 160 where we were, but we had it on one ranch. We had two different probes set up across that ranch at, at different spots. Like much of the Yuma Valley, you'll see streaks going through ranches, fields that'll be heavy clay or or go down into sand, get some loam in there. And so on that ranch, what we did was we had a receiver sending data or receiving data from the probes in the field that were about a foot deep. And that allowed us to just monitor. My biggest point of data and technology is how can we use it? How can we apply it? I mean, I'm like everybody else. I love technology. I love to see the new gadgets, love to to try them out. But how can I use that data? And what was neat was being able to get our historical data on how, what we do is we keep keep record like most of irrigation days. So if I know that on an alfalfa crop, gosh, the last five years I've averaged 17 days in between waters before my first cut. Do I need 17 days? I may be using a soil probe or a shovel or or a lettuce knife and sticking it down in there. Or could I have let it sit a little bit longer? Would it be better for the crop? Did I wait too long? So being able to have those probes in there really gave us a an opportunity to kind of see what the soil was really responding to. And we knew that in some cases we could hold off another two, three, four days and the crop would be just fine. So in essence, that would allow those roots to really establish and allow the, the alfalfa to grow taller, obviously gaining us a better yield. And so um, technology has been a huge part of the growth here in this community. Absolutely. And it's 360 in the industry. Oh, absolutely. The implements and the tractors and things you see in the field, 
total technology. Those are tech crazy. Yeah. I mean, you look at the, the, the monitors and cabs of tractors now, <laughs> there's multiples. We uh, demoed a tractor recently that while the radios have been improving over the years, AM, FM radio, it's got a hard drive in it. Oh, Everybody's yeah. using thumb drives or mm-hmm. memory cards. It's Bluetooth connectivity. Also, you can hook that up to the cameras that you can get on the front and rear of your your tractor cab and and display monitors so that you can see without turning around behind you. Right. Often, if you are not running on GPS, which is a rarity these days, right. You know, you lean back to look over your shoulder, and more often than not, you're you're going to veer one direction or the other. Um, and so, just those little things, although they are costly and maybe not always necessary, provide that extra. That extra step above in making sure that while we have technology, we're making making sure that our, our operators are happy and are feeling good right. and, and proud. Right. You know, yeah. there's nothing better than when you when you see a, a driver get up on a tractor and just say, oh, man, let me go now. Home sweet home. Yeah. I mean, if, if they're happy and, and they're loving what they're doing, sure. it will increase our productivity as well as making sure that that bond of our team, our, our family approach to how we product business, um, it'll, it'll ensure us longevity sure. and, and quality. Open Field Radio. Research proves the secret to effective long-term powdery mildew control in watermelons, pumpkins, and grapes is rotation, rotation, rotation. A fungicide rotation program consisting of Torino, Quintec, and Metal fungicides gives exceptional control of cucurbit and grape powdery mildew, enhancing crop quality, yield, and profit. Torino, Quintec, and Metal utilize different modes of action to control powdery mildew. Whether you have powdery mildew resistance or are trying to prevent resistance, rotate Torino, Quintec, and Metal fungicides to keep your fields clean and free of powdery Mildew. Ask your dealer for details from Gowan USA. Now back to Open Field Radio, brought to you by Gowan Company. We're back with John Dinsmore, Dinsmore Farms, Yuma, Arizona, and we were talking technology and specifically technology in tractors. And John, I've read a bit about the right to repair issue. Is that a big deal here? Do you run into that in this region? You know, thankfully here we are we are serviced really well by our local dealerships. And that's not a plug to any one dealership. Sure. Yuma is very, within reason, we are we are very fortunate to be in close proximity to all of our dealerships here. There are a lot of places in the middle of the country that are hours from their nearest dealership. And so that is a difficulty in being able to repair and have the right to repair. So to clarify, the right to repair issue, and it's a big issue, simplified is the software and those kind of things within those vehicles is proprietary to the manufacturer and therefore can only be repaired, serviced, etc. by the dealership as opposed to the operator or the owner. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it's tough. I mean, like many arguments in today's society, people have good reason to be concerned. You know, I think too often we look at topics and discussion points as it has to be one or the other. Right. There's a lot of gray matter, and this is one of them. You know, we're fortunate where that's, that never crosses my mind. Sure. If I'm going down yeah, and I get a driver that calls me and says, hey, boss, I got this happening right now, odds are by the time I've even called my service tech, mm-hmm. he's already received the alert on his monitor, or he's already... I had, a, I had a, a gentleman with the dealership recently tell me, yes, my guys have already told me that there's a red alert, and it's regarding... I forget exactly what it was on the tractor. We've already called our tech. He's coming in. He'll be there in about 20 minutes. He beat me there. And so we're fortunate to have the proximity. Um, but for those that want and are able to be able you know, to repair their, their tractors on their own, right? yeah, that's a serious, serious point that needs to be uh, addressed. And farming is such that if it's broken, you fix it. Absolutely. 
There's no waiting. Right. Yeah. And these days, too, that's another thing. I mean, I'm, I'm touting all, the, not all, but <laughs> the, the folks that we do business with that I can speak from a personal experience, those that say, if you have a tractor go down and it's going to be longer than, say, 24 hours or 48 hours, we will have a tractor already on the way down before you even have to call us just to make sure you are not losing money. You're not losing time. It looks good on them. It helps us. It's a win-win. Totally. But, but again, that proximity, our community, our this whole valley are just in uh, just fluidly working well together. That's great, especially right now with everything else going on. It's nice to hear that kind of optimism and that kind of uh, it is. Uh, connectivity. The show is called Open Field Radio, and part of the idea with that is that there are things in ag and things in life that or side by side or overlap or those in ag have another side to life or sometimes there are parallel topics between ag life and everybody else's life and where those things run side by side let's look at you you are an avid photographer i am i love it (laughs) i know you do i love it and what you just said is exactly why i continue to practice capturing moments because when i share an image on on social media yes I will be honest, like many, it feels good when you see the little hearts pop up on Instagram and say, you have likes, or somebody (laughs) comments and it's not an argument. Hey, that's great. But what really drives me is kind of twofold. Okay. I'm going to back up just a little bit. After my grandfather passed away, I knew that he was a photographer, but I didn't quite understand to what extent. And years down the road, my my grandmother passed away and my family asked if I'd help climb in the attic and uh, clean it out. And so while I was up there, found a box, said grandpa's camera's on it, and my heart just skipped a beat. I sat up there sweating, looking through these cameras, just blowing the dust off of them and thinking, I just found treasure. And it they have become just something for me. I've been wanting to, to fix them up and, and refurb them, and, and I'd like to actually put one to use. But right now, I just I keep them on a shelf, and I look at them, and, and I just think of the stories that his photos tell. And that's something that drives me, because I really just want to be able to capture moments in time that can make my family proud, make, you know, who knows, my grandchildren someday, <laughs> great-grandchildren, I, I, would, I just want them to be able to see moments of history and uh, be able to really get a glimpse of what we were doing and, and what we were trying to do to achieve to better the future. And when I say we, not just our farm, our family, I'm talking our community, our industry as a whole. Right. I just love being a part of that because having moments in time where somebody can message me on social media and say, I saw this picture, I don't know you, but it makes me happy because it makes me think of my uncle's farm or my my grandma when I was a kid would tell me stories and and this is what I'd always always envisioned in my head it would look like. Those are the things that make me happy. Um, I want to capture moments for my family, but I also just love when they can, when these images can connect people and and just focus on the good in the world. Exactly. If you're interested, you got a great Instagram account, by the way, The Farmer John, J-O-N. The Farmer John on Instagram. Go check it out. There's some great ag pictures I've seen on there. Uh, there's a lot of truck pictures, too. I think you're fond of your truck. A lot of truck pictures. <laughs> Typically, the secret is if you see me post more truck pictures, it either just rained, because oh. I love a good muddy truck picture. Sure. Why not? Look, in Yuma, it's always hot. We rarely get clouds. So when I have background mm-hmm. to include into a picture. Well, and I've seen you call out Chevy once or twice there with your <laughs> truck doing some of those pictures. You, you know got a dream I mean, there? You, you got to do what you got to do. So, you know, one thing I, I have learned over time is is it's okay to uh, to plug every now and then. Sure. You know, there's, there's something to be said for being 
humble, but at the same time, it's okay because more often than not, you'll be surprised. And, right. and that's happened to me where I've had an opportunity to share images with the University of Arizona, um, with organizations within the industry, and being able to see my photos part of something bigger makes my day. Um, even if they don't give credit or put my name at the bottom, I just like seeing, gosh, the U of A posted, you know, published something that, that a farmer or a person has in their hands right now looking at it. And, and there's a picture at the top that is from our farm. It just makes my day. Well, let's do this then, since we're here. This is unsolicited, okay? Unsolicited, right there. Grab that box. There's a box right next to you there. Grab that box with that very subject. This was, I promise you, unsolicited. Yeah, Chris Denning, desert sales representative from Gowan Company, dropped this by. Chris is a great guy. Yeah, and said, make sure John gets this. Speaking of your photos on products and other things. Go ahead and open that box right there. Uh, Looks like a big pizza box. Is it a pizza box? That would be cool if it was a pizza. What is it? What do you see? Holy smokes. Wow. It's a large clock. Shop clock. Yeah. With a photo from our farm on it. Chris called me last year. I think I talked to you about it. And then that was a while ago. He was looking for a crop picture. What he was looking for was a crop picture for a shop clock for some of his customers. And what I love, too, is that it's it's for Prefar 4E, Selective Herbicide. That is a material that, man, I tell you, if there wasn't a material that just said produce season is upon us, it's prefar. How cool that we get to be a part of that. I will absolutely well, be putting this You're up for you. completely serendipitous here. This was not planned. It just so happened that Chris said, if he's coming over, make sure you give that to him. Well, I, see, and these are those go. moments where I, I, I'm sure, you know, they, they had asked, but I forget that my picture is going to be used for something. And to see the final product just makes my day because this is, uh, this is really cool. What well, there you gift. go. There what you go. Thank well, you. Put it in your shop or wherever you're going to put it. That's really awesome. And Chris will be tickled. Yes. Thanks, Chris. Talk to me about your work with the Farm Bureau. You've been involved with Farm, Farm Bureau. I have. I spent about a, a good, gosh, 10, 12 years of some serious service and leadership and, and still highly involved. The Farm Bureau really was a good opportunity for me to gain more knowledge and learn the ins and outs of our industry. When I was at a barbecue many years ago, I had a friend of mine, we were sitting there and he just said, hey, you ever heard of the Farm Bureau? And I said, yeah, the insurance? He goes, no, 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 no. The Farm Bureau was around before the insurance. That's an added benefit. And he started explaining to me what the Farm Bureau does. And I thought, holy smokes. Yeah, it sounds great. Sign me up. And gosh, it probably wasn't a couple years before I was on the ballot for vice president for Yuma County. And, and then I had an opportunity to be on the ballot for president. And while I definitely did not take the role lightly, in the very beginning, I was slightly flattered, but quickly learned that it's also... So just part of kind of earning your keep in the industry, you've got to you've got to find some time to serve and lead to whatever capacity you can make work. There's multiple organizations to be a part of, and I just so happened to get linked up at the time with Farm Bureau, and and it was great because it allowed me opportunity at a local level to really learn just kind of how everything works, and then. When I became vice president, I uh, had an opportunity to sit on the state board for Arizona Farm Bureau. Okay. And that probably led on for close to eight years. And while I was serving on that, uh, had an opportunity to go uh, serve with the young farmers and ranchers at a local level. And then uh, on to the American Farm Bureau Committee for two years, which allowed me uh, a chance to represent three different states, serve with uh, alongside farmers and ranchers from all over the country, and really just begin to grasp what it takes to move an industry. Because it's hard when you see... An organization try to speak on behalf of an industry that has a lot of different opinions. Sure. 
and a lot of different methods to the madness. Right. And and that was really good for me to really start to learn more just about life in general, being able to see on the floor at a convention of thousand plus farmers and ranchers talking from their heart about legislation or, or proposal that mattered to them, why it did or why it didn't or why they agreed or why they didn't really gave me some insight that I didn't know in my in my little neck of the woods and uh, been able to carry that on to how, how I kind of help manage our family farm now. And um, it's been great to really continue to be a part of the Farm Bureau and the other organizations really because having a voice for our industry has made a huge impact on the future of what we're doing. And ultimately, I just want there to be a chance for one of my five kids at home. I mean, they're fifth generation potential farmers. Like we mentioned earlier, I just want a chance for them. Sure. So you've seen farming from the field all the way to the state and higher levels. Some of my favorite times with the Farm Bureau led me to Capitol Hill. Getting to sit in a senator's office one-on-one and just communicate personal experiences, not, I'm going to say it, you know, not a script, not, not words that, you know, have been encouraged, just a personal experience has shown me it, it matters a lot more to folks than I think we give it credit for. Um, the scary part about speaking up for an industry or, or speaking up on behalf of anybody is that you don't want to mess up. You don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't want to appear as a goof. But when you can speak on something you are passionate about, man, the words just come. And that's the thing. I mean, right now, my, my biggest passions are my family, my faith, and my farm. And that's what drives me every day. You know, we haven't skipped a beat, and we're, uh, we're producing food and fiber every day. And you're very passionate about it. You can see that just talking with you. You can see that. We're in a very unique time right now in our country, in the world, not just the country, in the world. And without chasing that too hard, can you shed some light on maybe some optimism in farming right now? Are there crops to be optimistic about this year? I've got a list of ones not to be optimistic about, but can you shed some light on maybe some some sunlight on some areas there in farming that we can look through COVID-19 and go, okay, that's happening, but this is happening too. The other day I was talking with my kids because a couple of them were just reaching their breaking point of missing their friends and just missing life and trying to explain to them how, even though it's a rare occasion that we get a pretty big storm here, how easy it is when those rains are hitting hard and you're getting pounded and the wind's blowing and your wipers are running full steam, how in those moments it can seem hopeless. You can feel helpless. You can feel like this is just never going to end. And maybe I'm looking at it too softly because this has been a serious moment for so many people, for all of us. I mean, there's families that have truly faced loss, not just from a business perspective, but from family. And this is something that right now we can't stop farming. We can't stop producing. There's no option. Our employees continue to come every day. They wear their masks. We line up every morning, line up. We get in a circle every morning to kind of divvy up our tasks for the day. And everybody has their six plus feet of social distancing. Everybody's cleaning down the tractors when they're done, the truck. They're washing their hands a ton, a ton. And so really the optimism is that we can and we will and we are. And right now I keep telling them, guys, we are, we're doing. Like this is just one one farm. So guys, you're only seeing one group, but it's happening all around us from the hospitals, from the restaurants, from everybody that I'm, I'm not 
going to be, you know, listing and being able to remember it's happening all around us in order to keep things moving. Gosh, the, the trucks that are moving across this country to take everything that we're able to produce and put together is just a wonderful thing. So not to be too fluffy, Mark, I think in general, we have a lot to be grateful for and a lot to be optimistic about that when we come through this on the other end, man, we're going to be strong. We're going to be unified. Even if, even if that unity only, only lasts a short while, we, we won't lose that taste for it. And I think that we will turn a lot more folks around in remembering what it feels like to have that optimism than otherwise. You know, on the farm side, crops, we still need to grow feed. The cattle still need to eat. Thankfully, uh, there were a few weeks there that were a little scary for the dairies. Well, shoot, still are. Glad to see the, the grocery stores stocked up again. Glad to see some grocery stores pulling the signs off saying, hey, you know what? Take as many eggs as you want. Happy to see that. You know, hate to hear stories of people having to disc under vegetables and, and crops that just aren't able to, to either aren't able to get harvested due to labor issues or don't have an end point. And so right now for our farm, we're focusing on our hay, hay crops right now. We've got alfalfa in Sudan coming off soon. Alfalfa, we're in the midst of it. Um, our optimism lies in the fact that the consumers will get back to normal sooner than later and continue to buy more more vegetables and and more milk and eggs and and the folks that need to keep buying the feed will keep buying it and the chain will just keep moving so we gotta we gotta keep moving forward you've been listening to open field radio from gowan company all rights reserved no duplication or redistribution without permission 